Oh boy, oh boy, it's time for Animation Celery! Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons! Here we come on the run with a burger on a bun and a dab of coleslaw on the side. I'm one of those cartoon guys, Micah. I'm the other toon guy, Matsy. And on this podcast, which is called Animation Celery, as previously mentioned, the deal is that we give each other cartoons to watch by surprise, and then we react surprisingly to them. Well, we review them. And mm. this week we're doing a couple of old shorts. Uh, what do we do? Micah, Micah had to watch a Looney Tunes thing with Daffy Duck. Um, and The Hobbit. Mm. Yep. Not that The uh, Hobbit. Well, hey, it's it's J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. Okay. How how many can there be? Sure. Um, speaking of how many can there be, I'm looking at two Mickey Mouse cartoons about hunting moose. Mm. Um, but first, uh, I don't know. What, any mooses in your news this week, Micah? Well, I've got all the news that isn't moose. You know what? That sounds like a uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle title. No moose is good moose. You know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're exactly right. You're exactly um, right. <laughs> did you see the revelation of one Dungeons and Dragons? What? No. What? No. Okay. What? So this is not sixth edition. Really, it's not sixth edition, okay? <laughs> you know what? I have the... Um... I guess the second edition of the second edition advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Oh yeah. And the forward and that opens with like, okay, first thing, this is not Dungeons and Dragons third edition. Ha. There, let's get that out of the way. And I, I always th find that funny when I'm, when I open that book, it's like, wow, this book is so vehement that this is not third edition. So you're saying that this is not sixth edition. No, this is one D and D. It's kind okay. of like how Xbox was 360 and then it became Xbox One. Right, right, right. Um, okay, and there's some validity to this, I guess. They're, they're, <laughs> okay. doing, they're doing some playtesting now, so they've shown some of what they're doing. All right. Um, <clears throat> and the intent is that they don't alienate anybody who's playing the game right now. Uh-huh. So even though things are different, the published events you have and maybe even the adventures that you made... Uh, you can still play them now and basically understand the rule set. Yeah, okay. So what they've shown, um, the I, th I think I think they're making a mistake in one regard, maybe, but maybe they have enough loyalty now that they can do this. Um, okay. Fifth edition is very simple in some ways for yeah. character creation to the point where you level up and you don't feel like you had to do anything. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, but now it's more complex. So like, whereas your background was more about your generally uh, about how you play your character, plus like a skill and a tool, right? Uh, yeah, the background options were mostly role playing things, although the well, I guess the background option gave you some starting equipment and stuff. But then, yeah, things like your bond or what's the other i don't know there's a bunch of them but yeah those are more role bond but yeah, flop. Okay. Yeah. yeah 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 that's what i'm talking about um well they're gonna push it to be more of the nitty-gritty of your character now so like your ability score adjustments come from it but huh but 
uh, this is the direction they were going anyway, where they were reinforcing the idea that, you know, that it's a la carte, that they may provide you with like, you know, uh, the outlander and the, the criminal and so on, but you can essentially just take any skill you want and any language or tool you want. And, you know, um, yeah. so it's still like that. And again, they, they provide you some outlines, right? So you, you could, you could still a la carte it. Like I want this and I want that. And, but you are getting plus two to an ability score and plus one to another ability score and a feat. Okay. And you also get a feat at first level. And there are okay. feats that are leveled. So like at first level, you can only take a first level feat. Which okay. seems like a big reverse on the direction that they went, right? To where like feats are optional or and also you don't get that decision very often. Right. So now this feels a little more like Pathfinder, huh. you know, where you're huh. like loading up and have a lot of different, you know, options to consider here. Hmm. So on the player side, they've gotten rid of every race that moves less than 30 feet. I say, hooray. Thank goodness. Wait, does that mean like no halflings, no dwarfs? No, not, not they got rid of it, but they got rid of 25 foot move speeds. Oh, so, okay. So gnomes and halflings and dwarves all move 30. All right. Um, and, uh, I'm sure that this will upset a lot of terrible people, but they're trying to be more inclusive too, you know, with artwork and stuff or that, uh, I'm sure there's some horrible people that roll their eyes when, uh, any race can be small. <laughs> oh, of course. You know, the kind of person oh. that I bet can barely hold in his groan when somebody at a wheelchair with a wheelchair comes up to the table, you know? Oh, huh. of course. <laughs> One of the basic rule things they're kind of changing is that uh, a lot of your player character abilities are going to be tied to your proficiency bonus. So okay. there won't be very many like you get this back on a short rest kind of abilities, but rather you can do this a number of times per day equal to your proficiency bonus. Hmm. Yeah. Um, some it seems like more aspects are divided between player characters and NPCs. So like at least what they've presented right now to test, it doesn't look like monsters can critical hit. Okay. Yeah, so that swinginess apparently has been taken away for now. Interesting. Yeah. But on the whole, it still... If you, if you know how to play 5e, I don't think you'll be lost if you play this. Okay, yeah, yeah. So. Hmm, that's interesting. But they sure haven't reinvented the... Oh, and of course, every time they come out with this kind of announcement, they talk about the digital tools. So oh, may, yeah. may, maybe they'll be good. <laughs> um, they're using the Unreal Engine, and uh, they're trying to maintain that it, what you're looking at looks like uh, some, you know, some terrain like you might have in real life and some inanimate figurines placed on it, which is <laughs> okay. good. Which is good, because, like, I don't like it when I'm playing, like, say, a computer card game, and I, like, you know, I tap the card, and there's, like, some explosions that come off it and stuff, you know? Right. It's right, too much. Yeah. To, to the point where I'll play the bootleg that doesn't have any of that instead. <laughs> but. I guess there is, I guess there is something to be said for, like, you know, theater of the mind. Like, leave, leave the players some room to imagine what's going on. Don't just make them play a video game except 
players are dictating everything that happens. Now, you you the the general look is from up high on those figurines and and terrain pieces. Uh-huh. But you can get down there and really macro into your figurine. So that's cool. Anyway. I, I guess I guess the idea of like because I always found the idea of having a miniature version of my character mm-hmm. like it, it was always like eh, okay I'll just use this thing because you know it's the it's the glorified token that I'm using to display where I am on this map or whatever yeah uh, but I never you know in fourth edition they had lots of miniatures that were all painted and stuff. But yeah. before that, you just have like the pewter figurines and it's your job to paint them the way you want. And I was always like, no, those things are really expensive and I don't have the time or patience to paint and paint. But mm. if I had like some online miniature that I could just like zoom in and click on areas to like adjust their colors and stuff, like really customize my avatar, for lack of a better term, for an online D&D game, that would mm. be fun. Sure, yeah. Um, I don't know that this is wetting my appetite to play more Dungeons and Dragons specifically because mm. it's still that game, you know? Yeah. Also, also, this will be kind of more geared toward a subscription kind of service. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, one D and D, um, also, in the role-playing game news, you might remember the last time I promised that I would look at Tales of a Lethron video, uh, video uh, role-playing game, tabletop. Right, yes, I, I do remember that. Yeah, Tales of a Lethron, once again, I'll say, is an animation from uh, Denmark. Um, the, reg- the first one was The Reward. It's fanciful, high-action, uh, high-comedy fantasy adventure. And yeah. so they've they've merchandised it in some ways. Uh, they've made an RPG, a tabletop role-playing game. Um, and I did find a place where you could download it, but it was kind of expensive for just a PDF. Hmm. And as I Googled, I was thinking like, is anyone playing this game? Cause I sure couldn't find anything. Hmm. Um, well, it's pretty niche. Oh yeah. So what I ended up looking at is that on their YouTube channel, they have some six-year-old videos yeah. about how to play their game. Okay. Here's a weird thing. I don't know if you found this, but um, when you or anyone is like saying a word in a language you're not comfortable in, the tendency would be to like mumble it kind of fast, you know, Uh-oh. so that you, you cover the sins of your mispronunciation or ignorance, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, yeah, this, uh, this student at this agricultural farm, how's your kid is, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it seems like it's the opposite for Scandinavians. <laughs> like this guy, Sc- Hatchiken. Hatchiken is the guy's name. And he's in agricultural school. What do you, you know, they speak English deliberately, you know, like this. Oh, okay. But then when they have to say something in their native tongue, it just kind of goes like, this, you know. So, okay, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm curious. So I'm thinking like, oh, okay. So this is, this is one of the, this is the director and this is the animator guy and, you know. How does he say his name? I can't tell. He says it too fast. <laughs> it's it's just like they don't know, right? Just like, oh, get out there. And th- it applies to like their made up terms for their animation and RPG, right? Oh, so, like, great. Yeah. So I'm really confused until I see it <laughs> written or like uh, they really ran me in a circle because they kept on saying Tales of Alethron. 
right? So it's like, oh, so it's not a Lethreon, it's a Lethrin. Oh. But the last video I watched, it sounded like a Lethreon, so I'm so confused. Mm. Um, anyway, I'd speculate, like, it's, I gave some, uh, we, we workshopped, like, what you might do in, yeah. in a Lethrin RPG last time, and I, I proposed, ah, oh, maybe it'll just be kind of like every other RPG. Unfortunately, it kind of looks like it is. Um, okay. Uh, where it's, it's a, it's a D6 dice pool game, you know, where you're looking to roll a certain number of successes to beat the threshold or to do a dice pool versus dice pool kind of roll. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the stuff I find that when anyone who's trying to design something or even just like playing at it in their mind, when you start doing this kind of dice pool thing you end up living inside the dice, right? <laughs> so like when you've invested so much into your, um, in, into your S stock skill, right? Then you can get an upgrade that lets you adjust one of your dice by one, which is kind of like, what am I doing here? Exactly. <laughs> you know? Um, now I guess what, what it has to offer you is the setting, obviously. Yeah. So their playable races include humans, gnomes, Rollocks, which are like frog people. Okay. Um, collectors, which are lizard people. <laughs> and blueskins, which sounds like a pretty derogatory way to refer to someone. Um, yeah, that wouldn't... If there were actually people on Earth with blue skin, that would not fly. Well, you know, I guess a Lethran isn't perfect either. Yeah. Um, anyway, one of the interesting things that they had in there was that not all these races are built equally. Uh-huh. So they have a weird A, B, C, D priority system where like these races are grouped into like A races, B races, C races, and D races. And you have to take the inverse class options. So a human oh. is a human is a D race, but they have selection of the A classes. Hmm. Uh, whereas like gnomes and blueskins are A races that have to take the D classes. And then the inverse is like B's to C's and C's to yeah, B's. Yeah. Um, yeah. And whatever you didn't take, you then have to take, like, say, if you took the A's and D's from race and class, you'd have to take the B and C inversion of statistics to skills. Huh. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I've never seen that. So it's interesting, at least. I guess one thing it does is if they ever felt like making more stuff, they could just classify that this is a B or, or you know, or a D. So yeah. that it would fit in rather than have a list of, you know, you can't do this if you're a collector or human or, you know, et cetera. Et cetera. Right. Um, and some of them are weird, too. Like, it's not just that you, there's some some classes you can't be, but rather, like, if you're a human, you can be this class with a big boost to one of its abilities. <laughs> so anyway, that was kind of interesting. Um, as, as polished as their animation was, these videos were just totally not, right? <laughs> Bad <laughs> audio. Um, <laughs> and when they were describing the combat, the first the first couple of videos, they had uh, some like Dungeons and Dragons and Warhammer miniatures out, uh, mm. ostensibly to demonstrate with. Right. But then they came back, I guess, later to film the last two videos and they forgot them. So they were using like a Pikachu, a Super Mario <laughs> um, <laughs> A Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> yeah. Great. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a very clunky game, I thought, because it's like 
you you mm. roll I, I think we're it lives in the combat mostly and given the videos that would make sense but like where you roll to see if you're total okay you spend action points to do things and then or fatigue points or whatever they were and then you roll your dice pool and then whatever you're offending spends its points to roll its dice pool to see who got more successes and say you did, then it rolls a dice pool to soak some of that damage. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, it seems really encumbersome. And so things that are interesting, but maybe encumbersome too, like that your, your hit points are a number of D4s. Hmm. So it's kind of like, uh, I think, I think you can think of your hit points as a string of D4s. And when you encroach into one of them, you've essentially lopped off that D4. But you have to deal enough damage to, like, climb over that D4 into the next one? I think. It's not real clear. <laughs> but, uh, All right. Yeah. At any rate, yeah, not not the way I would do it. I think uh, I think if you just took another role-playing game to play this, I think Fate would be a better fit for this kind of thing. Plus, you know, for my tastes, well, for both our tastes, really, the uh, mechanics for doing all your in-between adventures. Mm. But. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so... Well, I guess there's a certain expectation, you know, in in tabletop role playing games, you know, somebody who's been playing for a long time, they, you know, they have things about it they like. And they're like, right. you know, I want to go out and find some grablins and roll some <laughs> dice and see if I crit them. That's a segue, but I'm not done. <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> um, let's see other stuff I did. I finally got around to watching Harvey Girls Forever. Oh, that. Yeah. OK. Yeah. yeah. J- just the first episode. I was building to it a long time ago by giving you those little Audrey things. And then you just watched it. Um, <laughs> so Harvey Girls Forever is a cartoon that takes the takes little Audrey from those old Harvey cartoons and comics, as well as little Lotta and Dot from the comics. Yeah. And they've made them into sort of a uh, a vigilante um child association in the neighborhood i guess that solve problems and the like kind of they're like yeah they're like anti-bullies yeah they're the neighborhood they're the neighborhood good samaritans yeah they're not like batman so i say vigilante i mean they're they're like uh yeah 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 anyway they're uh, so i watched i think you only watched the first half episode right with the uh the butt sandwich yes i watched the second one as well Mm. um it's got some funny gags in it. Like, I think, I can't remember which episode this is from, but the one where um, <laughs> Dot, she's getting serious. So she shakes her hair till it's all like a, a ragged afro. Okay. But then contains it all under a shell shaped like her usual hairstyle. Huh. <laughs> it's kind of funny. But, and I like little Lotta's characterization best out of those three. Yeah. That she's kind of sweet and, uh, um, plays against type a little bit whereas the little lot on the comics is just like i'm fat when i get hungry i get super strong yeah um it was okay i thought that it's kind of like the mighty bee Mm. but i like the mighty bee better or especially that second half so you could say it's kind of like the second half so they they uh uh there's a tree like a, a gigantic treehouse uh, village where uh, all the children of the neighborhood trade things. Okay. And uh, uh, the 
Harvey girls really want these horn dolls, like a unicorn, a narwhal, and um, what was the other one? I can't remember. Anyway, they, they want to trade for them, but the only way thing the, the, the trader only wants a certain card, so um, uh, so they counterfeit the card. <laughs> and what it ends up doing is causing a ripple effect of people not following the rules and oh. destroying destroying their commerce. So they have to <laughs> they have to make good and, and undo it all. Anyway, anyway, so in <laughs> Little Lotta and the horned animal bubble. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um so with with getting to like know all these weirdos, um yeah. it this one more reminded me of Ed Ed and Eddie. <laughs> But once again, I also like that cartoon better. So I don't think I'll be rushing to watch more Harvey Girls. I just I kind of think that it lacks some amount of heart. Like there's professionals who did their best, but, you know, nobody was dying to work on this, right? Yeah, it's nice that it exists, but eh. maybe, you know, maybe little kids might really like it, but not me yeah. so much. Yeah. Um. OK, and one more thing here. I. uh I watched four episodes of the new He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. You know, I've over the last week or so, I've been thinking that maybe I should check that out. I didn't, but I've been thinking about it. Well, I kind of didn't want to because of the aesthetic, right? That everybody's got all these funky glowing plates on them. So it's mm. sort of like, uh, you know, it doesn't look like Overwatch, but it looks like it's got a dash of it. Yeah. You know, it's not my He-Man. Um, <laughs> but when I found out that the gender swapped Ram Man is Ram Mam, <laughs> <laughs> that that charmed me enough that I, I said, I got to give this a shot. <laughs> OK, yeah. Um, you know, one thing is it's way more story focused than I anticipated. OK. I thought it would just be like. You know, and. It would just be like, oh, so they, we're going to pretend like we forgot Ram Mam's birthday and she's going to get real sad. And, you know, it'd just be episodes like that. Yeah. But but they've really gotten into the lore and they've kind of built on some stuff that's been there before and also done some original stuff. So, uh, you know how He-Man, at least in old lore, was part of a jungle tribe that then got his magic harness and, you know, all that stuff. Um. From the from like the mini comics, right before before filmation. Um, well, uh, Adam and uh, Ram Mam, uh, her real name is Crass. I think they hmm. they didn't want to call her Crash anyway. Um, they are members of the Tiger Tribe, so they live in the jungle and they live in a tribe that's half humanoids and half uh, half colorful tigers. <laughs> including right. Cringer. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess they rely on one old trope and that Adam has amnesia. He doesn't understand where he's from. Right. He doesn't. Hmm. Has, he has no idea that he's the Prince of Eternos. Also, that's interesting to me that they that Randor's the Prince of Eternos, not the whole planet, I guess. OK. Um, anyway, so like I said, they've 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 landed on some old lore. Like when we first meet Skeletor, he's Keldor and we get yeah. to see his transition into being Skeletor. Um, Tila, Tila is working with the bad guys at first. And hmm. Tila is, Tila is not the warrior woman 
they've skipped that step and they've just made her a sorceress in training, basically. Hmm. Which I don't mind. I always feel weird when the fate of somebody who whose whole deal is like, I'm athletic and I fight with a sword, is that, no, I'm going to become the most powerful sorceress by the end of it. That always seems weird to me, so I don't mind this. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll buy that, yes. Yeah, having you put it that way, you're right. <laughs> they don't call her Evil Lynn yet, they just call her Evelyn. Uh-huh. Um, Evelyn, like, apparently there was some big coup long ago where, where Keldor tried to overthrow his brother Randor. Yeah. And and during the whole thing that Adam got lost. But but anyway, Evelyn and Cronus, not Trapjaw, still Cronus, um, they were apparently part of the coup and now they're just free agents. You know, Evelyn and Cronus are working together to try to capture the Master Sword. Um, hmm. Cronus's apprentice is Duncan. So oh. we have a we have a teenage Duncan in this. Yeah, all the heroes are teenagers, except Cringer. Cringer's turned on his side a little bit too cringer is not a coward well, um, then why is he called cringer maybe he overcame it uh <laughs> but what he is is uh he's declawed like poachers oh. got him and t- took his claws out so he's he's unable to contribute hmm until until duncan switches sides and gives him some badass claws all right yeah um, so I guess I guess Duncan is not Tila's father then. Not unless there's time travel or some weirdness. Yeah. But that's all screwed up anyway. Like in uh, in the 2000 series. Uh, well, I go. Oh, sorry. In both of those series, the filmation and 2000s, um, he's Tila's adoptive father. Right. Yes. And they specify that Fisto is actually her father in the 2000s oh, one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But she's a different character here. She's like some gutter sniper. She, I think even at some point Evelyn calls her a street rat. Um, okay. You know, I, I didn't mind it overall. I thought it was... Uh, uh, I thought it was all right. I thought it looked okay. all right, too. Like, I, I kind of liked it better than Revelations. Okay, yeah, sure. Because it did something a little different, you know? I kind of wish they would be even more different. But I think being computer animated, that it will unfortunately be somewhat limited in the scope of characters and settings they have, you know? Mm, yeah, Like okay. the, the the opening at least teases that we're going to get Beastman at some point. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it'll be like... Uh, Shows like uh, Miraculous Ladybug, right? Where it's like I'm seeing the same stuff over and over. Or uh, Donkey Kong Country. Hmm. Banana, banana Slamma. Um, so, overall, I say pretty fun. Oh, uh, Crass, that is to say Ram Mam. Um, she has, she always wears a crash helmet. Yeah. Uh, it's because she, because of trauma she suffered as a child. There was a crash that took her parents. So oh, she always okay. wears this helmet. But she also likes the headbutt stuff. I was, I kind of think that they made her too frail looking, right? Like all these teenagers are a little kind of willowy. Hmm. Whereas I would have liked to they, you know, made her, given her some kind of robust shoulders and maybe reinforced her neck. Well, yeah. I mean, Ram Man, Ram Man, I always had trouble um, posing, reconciling <laughs> him as a human, like. Oh, yeah. He's so he's like a big square. This guy. He's like strong mad. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know. I guess when he gets his armor off, he likes to turn his head side to side. Or maybe he doesn't. <laughs> um, but when... Okay, so what part of the deal here is that He-Man not only... That Prince Adam not only uses the power sword to imbue himself and Cringer with these superpowers. Yeah. But he can do it with all his other allies, too. Which... Oh. If they make toys for this, that that's a really good idea. So that there's like, you know, a Duncan and a man-at-arms figure. You know what I right. mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, the man-at-arms uh, is, is super mode. He looks a lot like Samus because <laughs> he's <laughs> orange and he's got a visor down, right? Um, oh, okay, yeah. And he's got kind of like a lean waist. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, the other thing, talking about characters has been shifted a little bit. Adam is not helpless. We get to see right off the bat that he's actually pretty good, which I mm. like. And he, I guess, will be allowed to be good because he has no secret identity. Right. Everybody sees him turn into He-Man, so it's not a big deal. Yeah. Which I think is good because it never made any sense to me that he has secret identity before anyway. Well, yeah. I mean, I remember I remember seeing some comic that somebody drew. Mm -hmm. It was Tila and Adam and... Like, I don't know, Skeletor, somebody showed up and he's like, oh, no, it's Skeletor. And Adam's like, oh, I got to get out of here. And he run, 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 run. Right. And then from off panels, like, by the power of Grayskull, I have the power. Run, 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 <laughs> run. Hi, I'm He-Man. What's the problem? And Tila's just looking at him like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we heard the lightning from over here. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, oh. Uh, I, I pointedly wanted to pick on <laughs> my running theme through my news section is picking on all the uh, the gatekeeping man babies. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, Tila is dark skinned in this. Ooh, I bet <laughs> that makes people mad. <laughs> so mad. Like in Revelations, they made King Grayskull dark skinned and people were pissed that they ruined the sanctity of their vision of King Grayskull. You know, <laughs> King Grayskull? <laughs> the guy that's like in one comic and one mini comic and doesn't have a, well, I guess they eventually made a figurine, but like a collector's item, but yeah. So <laughs> they also gave her white hair, which, um, they, they've kept Evelyn's white hair. So I guess maybe that's a sorcerer thing. Hmm. Maybe the, it's like Raceland from Dragonlance, like the rigors of channeling this magic gives you white hair. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Anyway, I think it's all right. Um, if I were to ever do my own take, like a fan comic or whatever, I think I would lend more to tend more towards sword than planet in this sword and planet genre. Mm. So like furry boots, underpants, barbarian, you know, there's like weird vehicles and guns and stuff, but not like a whole palace full of soldiers armed with guns. Yeah. You know? Okay. Yeah. So. Anyway, my, my question was always like I heard, you know, years ago that this show was coming. Yeah. And I immediately started thinking, well, how is this going to tie into She-Ra and the Princesses of Power? Because that show, I, I last I checked, you hadn't watched that, right? I mean, I've seen some, but I've not dedicatedly yeah. watched it. It has. So my I remember trying to tell my sisters like, oh, you should watch this. It's so good. And she's like, I don't really know a lot about He-Man. And I, but they do it as its own thing. Like that was one of the things that I liked about this Shira was that it's not just the girl spinoff of He-Man. 
Mm. It's taken place first without a He-Man established. And so it, but it has some references like in the, in the first two episodes, like I, I I get what happens in the first two episodes kind of mixed up because they, they kind of tell one story, like a two-parter kind of, Mm. um, but like she, Adora finds, they find some ruins, her and Glimmer and Bo and Bo is black and Uh. yeah, I know. Right. And he has two dads. Uh, Bo will Uh, not replace us. Yeah. So, and they find some ruins from the first ones and there's writing that Adora can read for some reason. And she's amazed that the others can't because she just sees it. She's like, what? You can't read this. What does it Mm. say? It's like, it says Eternia. And like, that's a password. And I think I've mentioned before she's given, she gets the sword from Light Hope. Well, she finds the sword, but you know, once, once Light Hope kind of explains like, yo, will you, will you fight for the honor of Grayskull? And Adora's immediate reaction is what is Grayskull? Hmm. And I've watched that whole series and you never find out what Eternia is and you never find out what Grayskull is. She just says for the honor of Grayskull when she goes into God mode. I would bet that Eternia is not something they can trademark. Um, But Grayskull, I would assume absolutely they can trademark it. The rights for uh, portrayal like in, in animation and movies and the like are, mm. s- are owned separately for She-Ra and He-Man. Yeah. So I would I would guess that maybe they get on the phone and say, hey, look, we want to put Grayskull in our script. And I think it's probably like, yeah, but you're never ever going to sell a toy that says Grayskull. And they're like, deal. And I guess it's just like a gamble for them. Like, this is not, you know, this is into our lore a little bit, but not too much. And if it helps us sell a toy, perhaps then let's give them, let them use it. You know, that's my bet on how it all goes. There's well, now you've got me thinking about other bits of crossover. Yeah. Cause there aren't a lot like the horde, you know, obviously there is a horde. Yeah. Um, there are characters who appeared in the filmation thing. Like shadow weaver is a very important character. Uh, Yes. Scorpia is a very important... Well, she's not a very important she's, character, she's but she's... a toy, though, isn't she? Uh, I don't remember. I'm not sure if she was, actually. Huh, okay. But even if she was, she was part of the she line. Yeah. And Catra, and, you know, and and all those people, like, it's it's all the, you know, Frosta and yeah. Natasa and Castaspella are all there. Yeah. But there's also Hordak. Yes. And he's part of the Masters of the Universe line. And... There's one episode where they encounter uh, this snake gang leader named Tongue Lashor. Okay. And from and that's another part of the He-Man lore, one of the snake men. Didn't as a toy he have like a fruit by the foot kind of tongue? Yeah, he had this tongue <laughs> yeah. that you stu- is is like a wheel on the back that you can make it flick in and yes, out. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, and actually, Scorpia and Catra are just so far above him that yeah. all they do is make fun of his name while they just casually beat the snot out of him. Huh. And of course that endears him to the rest of their gang and whatever it's, but anyway, yeah. So there's minimal crossover there, but I was kind of wondering based on the way, based on the teases that there is an Eternia and there's a gray skull. And also the, the lore is that Etheria mm. is a planet and it has its, suns and or moons i don't remember 
there there are multiple satellites in the sky. I don't remember if they're suns and or moons, but that's all there is, because for some reason, the planet is in its little pocket dimension and there's nothing else there. There are no stars in the sky. Just the, oh, right. Um, Do they ever and, call it the Spondos? Because in He-Man that, lore, that's where Eternia is, or our brother Aetherius, it's in Despondos. You know what? That sounds really familiar, and it might be. I'm not hmm. 100% sure. I'd have to go back and watch. Um, but, you know, I don't want to give away the way that Shira ends, but I was thinking, okay. like, okay, is this the jumping off point for it to them now? Here's the He-Man series that... I, I seriously doubt it. I mean... yeah. I'm a totally different art style, but if you try, yeah. like the characters, the characters could translate from one to the other. The excessive, you know, uh, morphing plates on them don't seem very Shira-ish to me, but you know. Well, maybe. I mean, the, the part of the Shira thing is, like I said, there's a whole, a big deal in, in this series is the first ones who were a high tech race that were on Etheria first. And a lot of it is them recovering first ones tech. Like the first ones had technology way beyond what current Etheria has. Um, this fascinates Entrapta in particular. Uh, mm -hmm. So th the idea is that there were people on Etheria who were way more technologically advanced. So, Maybe there's morphing runes and plates there. I mean, you really should watch Shira. It's it's okay. very good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well, at I the very just... least, at the very least, they have a better Hordak. The original Hordak is a snorting idiot. Oh yeah, this Hordak is. Um, <laughs> he, it, he, he, I I don't know how much I can say. They, I'll, I'll say that the, that there's Hordak, and the yeah. goal is to make a heroic effort into purifying Etheria by taking it all over. Uh, and also there is a Horde Prime. Okay. I'll say that, but... Actually, um, you know what? I do, I do have one tip that, I, that does amuse me. Yeah. Um, so, uh, especially in recent variations of He-Man, they've tried to make uh, Evil Lynn simp on Skeletor, where it's <laughs> this unhealthy relationship where she really has has it for him, but he just uses her. Because, you know, Skeletor can't love. Um, and because Harley Quinn was very popular. Yeah, probably that too. Uh, one thing that I think is really funny is in the one future lore that features Hero, uh, Dare, the son of He-Man, who turns into Hero, and uh, Skeletine, the son of uh, Skeletor. <laughs> that Skeletine is actually the son of Skeletor and Shadow Weaver. Take that, evil Lynn. <laughs> You got cut queened. No kidding. Although I'm not sure Shadow Weaver survives She-Ra. I don't remember. Maybe she does. Hmm. Uh, All right. I think I've I think I've dominated uh, the section enough. Uh, how about you, Matsy? Do you have any news news? A little bit. I'll go quick. Yeah. Uh, okay. First of all, something I'm going to tweet out uh, by by a total coincidence, just one of those things that popped up on YouTube that's totally unlike anything else that pops up on YouTube. I found a video from April of this year. Somebody uploaded the special features from a Japanese DVD collection of Pingu. Ha! Okay. And it's 
the voice actor who does all the voices in Pingu and the Foley artist who does all the sound effects. That's beautiful. It's awesome. It's so good seeing this like this big old bald Italian man going. <laughs> <laughs> um, based on the comments, like they were all saying, oh, rest in peace. So maybe it was uploaded because he had just died. Uh, which, is, which is sad. But yeah, that was good. And then I love Foley, like Foley watching Foley stuff is so Foley is sound effects and yes. watching him like, you know, Pengu is on a sled and this guy is just rubbing a sponge over a sheet of sandpaper. Just going, right. And he's like and he's like he's t- speaking in, I think, German, because I think that's a Swiss cartoon, if I remember correctly. Um, OK. And he's just like tapping his arm like. They're the Pingu. Dad. <laughs> and like, like all these different slaps, like he's got it all down and just showing all the equipment, like a little rattle thing, some blocks. He's like, he's watching in real time as Pingu's little like kid sibling is playing blocks. And so he's trying to like match clicking blocks together with the, uh, it's awesome. It's good. I'll, I'll tweet that out. It's, it's fantastic. Mm, uh, sounds good. Next. I just randomly decided uh, well, I didn't decide. I was thinking, what if I went to Netflix and what if I just oh watched God. the first cartoon that popped up in their header thing? OK. And I was like, I don't know if I really want to do that, but let me go to Netflix and see what happens. And what happens is the second season of the Cuphead show is out. Yeah, I saw some clips of that and they looked all right. And Raven yeah. said, this looks all right. And I said, yeah, we gave it a try. I didn't like it that much. Yeah, I watched the first couple of episodes. I mean, they're 15 minute episodes, half episodes, you might call them. But uh, yeah, but yeah, well, they're more like shorts. They're like, you know, yeah. they're like old 1930s shorts. Um, so I watched the first one, which is called Jail Broken. And it's kind of picking up where the end of season one left off, which is okay. Cuphead and Mugman uh, set up by Ms. Chalice to go to jail. And so they're in jail. Um, and then the second one involves them catching up with Miss Chalice after she put them in jail, uh, discovering her big secret, which I actually forgot about. And I was like, as it was getting towards that point, I was like, oh, this is going to be some Dave's ex machina crap. And then she revealed it. And I was like, oh, wait, no, that's in the video game. And also they they referenced that in the first season. This isn't Dave's ex machina. This is what her character is. Right. All right. Uh, it's okay. Boy, (laughs) something... I don't know what it is about me, but I will latch on to one thing, at least one thing in cartoon, like character design and just go, okay. nope, uh, that one thing is driving me nuts and I can't tolerate it. Like, huh. like in Rick and Morty, how their default facial expression for anything going wrong is for their lips to turn into this like downward facing tube that no human face can actually make. But right. It's multiple times in every episode whenever anything happens, they put on that face and it drives me nuts. Okay. So in this one, I had to look very closely because Cuphead and Mugman, it's like their hands. If you look at them, they have like the yellow cartoon gloves, right? Okay. But their hands are like, it's a circle with these big plump sausage fingers coming off of them. Right. And it's, it's okay, whatever. That's fine. It looks like a cartoony glove. The problem is that Miss Chalice has the same thing, except her fingers, like an octolings, are these tapered, slender points 
to make her more feminine. And her hands look terrible. It's like a circle with it. It doesn't look like hand. It looks like a circle with some spikes coming off of it. It's Hmm. I don't know how to describe it. It's I, I just can't look away from it. And it drives me crazy that her hands are so bad. But I don't know. The show is okay. I think I've gotten past the point where I've I think I've gotten past the disappointment of, oh, this isn't going to be what I want it to be. But right. So now I'm like, I guess I'll just watch it for what it is. And what it is is okay, but eh. Sounds look okay to me. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Miss Chalices? Yeah. Yeah, you should see him in action. Watch the second episode of the second season and tell me what you think. Um, but then the other thing that I found, and this is not going to take long. Mm. Disney has a new animated series. All right. Uh, now, there was one last week called Chibiverse, which I glossed over. Yeah. This one, I was like, okay, this is an intriguing title. And I want to see, well, maybe intriguing is the wrong word, but it's clever. Uh, it's called Hamster and Gretel. Okay. And so here's my experience with it. I turned it on. There was no title sequence. It, it jumped right into the episode. And it's this kid named Kevin. And he's narrating, like, the day I turned 16, I got my driver's license. And I'm immediately thinking that's not how it works, but okay. Mm. Um, and then it transitions to, I thought I was going to have all this freedom. But it turns out I'm just driving my sister around in my mom's minivan. Um, and his sister, Gretel, uh, has a hamster named Hamster. Okay. So their minivan breaks down. And a UFO shows up above them and gives the two of them superpowers. Hmm. And they quickly realize that when the alien said the two of them, they meant Gretel and her hamster, not Gretel and Kevin. All right. So Gretel is this little girl. You know, she's like school age, you know, grade schooler. Mm -hmm. And so I guess she's the superhero Gretel now. Uh, and her hamster and, you know, the hamster is like just a hamster. He's mostly expressionless with eyes that are constantly lidded and a frown on his face. So he just looks like, Meh, like doesn't, hmm. you know, doesn't care about things. Uh, I was looking at these characters and I went, OK, these just look like ordinary characters. There's nothing special about them, whatever. And then I took a close look at the eyes and I went, oh, wait a minute. These are Phineas and Ferb eyes. Oh, they bulge. And I and then I the title sequence came on and it said created by Dan Povenmeyer, who is one of the guys who made Phineas and Ferb and Milo Murphy's Law. And I went, mm. oh, it's just this again. Now, it's mm. not a spinoff of Phineas and Ferb because uh, Jeff Swampy Marsh is not involved. It's its own thing, at least as far as I know. You know, maybe if I watch more Dr. Doofenshmirtz, I'll turn up. But it seems like. Imagine Phineas and Ferb, except all the characters look like humans. Like there's no interesting character designs like Ferb or uh, Buford right. the bully. They just all look like ordinary people. And it's about this teenager who has to be the adult for his kid sister and her pet who are superheroes. Hmm. Um, well, he no doubt experiences the FOMO of superpowers. I guess... I don't know. Um, hmm. I didn't really stick with it. Once 
I I kind of saw that setup and I was like, oh, I I think I see exactly what this show is going to be. All right, well, never mind. Um, it seems like there was something else about it that caught my attention in the wrong way, but I can't. Oh, right. Gretel's voice. Yeah. As soon as she spoke, I I'm having a hard time remembering the last time I saw a cartoon character whose voice did not match the character design as much Mm -hmm. as this. Like she sounds like an adult woman. She does not sound like you'd expect that girl to sound. And then I looked up and let me see if I still have this page open. I guess I don't. Oh, I can find it. Yeah. So the voice actress who plays Gretel is Melly Povenmire. And I went, okay. Oh, Melly Povenmire. Dan Povenmire. Huh. Now, Melly Povenmire is so new that she doesn't really have a Wikipedia article on her. And I guess I should look it up. A, I could look it up a bit more, but I'm not gonna. I am going to assume that she is like uh, Dan Povenmire's daughter, who he just gave this role to despite the fact that she does not sound anything like her character should. Hmm. So, yeah, I think Hamster and Gretel, despite having kind of a neat name, is a pass for me, just based on what I have seen. I can't really tell by looking at her how old she is. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. I'm I'm on the Wikipedia page now, and it doesn't have a name. She is only described as a grade schooler. Yeah, look at pictures of her. Which I guess in American terms is like grade, what would that stop at? Like grade six or seven? I'm not exactly sure how high. Uh, I, I don't know how American high schools work. I guess. You know, the one, the voice that got in the way for me yeah. was getting into Star. Star versus the forces of evil. Oh, I did like not like her voice. Star herself. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. 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 I had I had to learn to accept her. She does some weird things. Yeah. She, yeah. She puts on her weird voice when things happen sometimes. I don't know. But yeah, no, you should see this Gretel lady in action because boy, boy. <laughs> so, yeah, well, that's. Hmm? Yeah. Well, I looked at the visuals and I'm thinking like, it's OK. There's nothing for me to fall in love with, though. No. No, and that's exactly what I'm saying. It's like you take Phineas and Ferb with less interesting character designs and hooray. Yeah. Oh, well, they can't all be winners. Uh, Let's do what else we're going to do today. Uh, And I think we start with you. Yes, with a surefire winner. It must be because it's from Bob Clampett. Ah, the very first cartoon I reviewed on the show was a Bob Clampett. Hmm. Um, so this is a book review, as in R-E-V-U-E, like a show. Um, and this is from 1946. Our story begins inside a bookshop after it is closed late at night. A drunken partying cuckoo from the clock announces that it is midnight. Books awaken one by one. And see, what's depicted on their covers is apparently alive, or sometimes characters from the story step out from the pages. And often, these are gags that play on the title. So, for example, the complete works of Shakespeare, 
show the playwright's silhouette with a whistling clockworks inside of it. Yeah. <laughs> Work. Yeah, works. You get it. Yeah. Uh, Cherokee Strip, <laughs> rather than being about boyhood in Oklahoma, portrays an indigenous stripper on its cover. And yeah. all the horn dog covers go crazy for the sexy dame, <laughs> including Henry VIII. When called out, he submits himself for a spanking by the mother on the Aldrich family book. But get ready for a double standard. She hears Frank, Frank Sinatra singing, It had to be you, from A Voice in the Wilderness. Frankie is getting pushed in a wheelchair by an orderly, and you see this joke in old cartoons that Sinatra was so rail thin in his younger days that he's always portrayed as sickly or near death. <laughs> Funny, because he lived into like the 90s, or maybe even later. I don't remember exactly when he died. Yeah, and I don't think of him as being this incredibly thin dude. Mm. I mean, I guess he is, but not. Anyway, you know, the difference of being an old man in terrible movies and well, being a young star. And, you know, at this age, at this time, you know, whenever they put a celebrity in a cartoon, they had to make a ridiculous caricature like, uh, uh, what's his name? Jimmy Durante, you know, he has kind of a big nose. So in cartoons, he's going to just look like a big L or the dad from Baby Blues. Yeah. Yeah. President Taft in the U.S. got all that guff for being fat. He's not fat hardly at all. Anyway, <laughs> he might be the fattest president. No, maybe not. Anyway. Anyway, I'm getting a tangent here. So, um, so all the female book covers are swooning over Frankie. Everyone from Little Woman to Whistler's Mother on an art book and even Mother Goose. Every <laughs> female cover has got it bad for the smooth crooner. And Mother Goose even ovulates, and then her hatchling swoons, too. <laughs> you make it sound so dirty. <laughs> That's what I do. Um, so, it is dirty. You know that other cartoon where, um, I think it's Porky Pig is trying to get his chickens to lay eggs? He does it by bringing a Frank, Frank oh, no, is the first one Frank Sinatra or Bing Crosby? He brings in a crooner. Hmm. And he's making all those hens go like, oh, and then like exploding oh, yeah. onto a pyramid of eggs. Yeah, anyway. I remember that now. <laughs> yeah, I'm remembering yeah. like one that's like they're all stacked up in a line, just like Ooh, yeah, yeah. up into yeah, the yeah. sky. Yeah, yeah, I remember now. Okay. <laughs> anyway, Frank Sinatra, he does that to hens and geese, um, ga ganders. So uh, an ensemble of musicians joins in to really jazz up the song. A tromboner from Brass. I guess that's probably like a military publication. Hmm. Uh, a percussionist from Drungs Along the Mohawk. There's so many gags. Um, but you know who's not impressed by all this noise? Who? Da Daffy Duck. Oh. Uh, he comes from the cover of some Looney Tunes slash Merry Melodies comics. <laughs> and he rummages in the Saratoga trunk for a wide-shouldered lavender zoot suit with bow tie incarnation and a wig with a curly blonde bouffant. He hates the, he, rather, he halts the music, gets every book's attention, and in a persona with thick Russian accent, sets up the Romani songs of his homeland. <laughs> they include La Cucaracha and Carolina in the Morning. Yeah. So um, <laughs> something about this, it always makes me laugh when when uh, the song Cucaracha is like 
what's the word? Romanticized? Oh man, he goes for it. Because it's about a cockroach. Yeah. Um, but I also like, this is, <laughs> you hear this in cartoons a lot, where yeah. someone will go, so round, so firm, so fully packed. And I always thought, okay, yeah, whatever. I, I don't understand, but I guess they're talking about a lady, which can be round and firm, sure. Yeah. But then the next thing he said was, so free and smooth on the draw, or whatever. Something like yes. that. And I went, yeah. hey, wait a minute. That sounds like a cigarette. And mm. so I did some Googling. Uh, this is actually kind of hard to Google, because if you Google so round, so firm, so fully packed, there's a country song by, I think it's Merle Travis. Um, yeah. But that but that song is from 1947. And this is 1946. Okay. So I did a little more Googling. And it turns out that that was the tagline used by Lucky Strike to describe their tobacco. Lucky <laughs> Strike cigarettes are so round, so firm, so fully packed. So, I, I can't remember the exact term now, but so smooth and free on the draw. Yeah. I'm like, okay. All these years later, I finally know what that phrase means. I don't understand, man. Is like being smooth on the draw. I guess that's like breathing in. I was thinking like drawing like a gun, like pulling your cigarette out of its case. Hang on. I got the. Anyway. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, they're trying to make it sound like smoking these cigarettes doesn't destroy your lungs. It's like, ah, that went down smooth. It didn't hurt at all. (laughs) (laughs) I guess in the case of Daffy, it's just proof that he's full of hogwash. Hmm. Um, okay, so uh, he, he sings those ethnic tunes <laughs> And then while singing He notices the big bad wolf In grandma's night clothes Waiting for Red Riding Hood uh, A consummate performer He tries to warn Red In song And he does that Bee bee boop da la boop day Song Yeah I've long attributed to Bugs Bunny Mm-hmm. But maybe Daffy did it first, or maybe it's Danny Kay, the musician that he's apparently parodying. Huh. I I couldn't find Danny Kay doing a zoop to zay. I found him scatting a little bit, but anyway. So uh, the angry wolf chases Daffy as punishment. He chases him through the books Hopalong Cassidy and Uncle Tom's Cabin. <laughs> and then the, the duck hides in a tree. The wolf swings his axe, but stuns himself when he hits the tree. Because you see, the trees are the cover from the petrified forest. Yeah. Yeah. So where's a police gazette when you need one? Well, it turns out the magazine sees all this and calls the long arm of the law, which is literally a long policeman's arm that picks up the wolf, puts him before uh, Judge Magazine, who swiftly sentences him to Life Magazine. Huh. But he escapes jail, but he almost falls into a fiery pit of Dante's Inferno. So he climbs out, but the timely singing of sexy Frank Sinatra makes that wolf swoon and slide back down into hell. <laughs> um, so Daffy, Red Riding Hood, and everyone cheer and begin dancing in celebration until the big bad wolf pokes his head back out of the abyss to demand, stop that dancing up there, ya thillies. 
<laughs> that is the end. <laughs> yeah. The old classic things with titles anthropomorphized according to their titles gag. So what was I going to say about this? Um, oh, yes, yes. So, yeah, as you said, there's there's a bunch of cartoons like this. Bob Clampett did another one called A Koi Decoy. And apparently this is the same bookstore oh. as in his prior cartoon. Huh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then Frank Tashlin did Speaking of the Weather and Have You Got Any Castles Before This. The same kind of deal where um, book and magazine covers come to life. Yeah. And have like jokes based on their titles and the like. Um, yeah. I'm sure there's one about paintings. Well, uh, there's a Tiny Toon Adventures one where Babs Bunny sings a song about how animation is her really favorite art, but there's paintings that are reacting to it. Oh, okay. And even closer, Animaniacs did one called Movie Review, but spelled R-E-V-I-E-W, <laughs> where, where it's the... Uh, I think they're VHS cassettes yeah. in a, in a, yeah, in a movie rental place. It's the same joke where they're coming off the cassette. Yeah. And I'm sad that that one is called review. Like they, it was right there, guys. All you know you, what though? Uh, to, to my understanding, this cartoon had to be corrected after its release because they misspelled it. Oh, so yeah, I've, I don't, I haven't seen the evidence, but I would guess that means that they spelled it R-E-V-I-E-W to start with. Hmm. So it's a and super then, in gag. In in joke for Animaniacs. Oh, for Animaniacs, yeah. <laughs> um Yeah. Hmm. Uh yeah, so Robert Clampett, you know, famous for being a nut bar, <laughs> uh, directed this, and he uh brought along uh, the McKimson brothers in his uh, animation and layout departments. Yeah. Yeah, you know, McKimson's from Foghorn Leghorn and Tasmanian Devil. Yep. Well, Robert, that is. Um, this is also kind of an interesting cartoon in that it has six other voices beyond Mel Blanc. Huh, wow. That's, yeah, that's not very common. No, it's for not. For a Looney Tune. It's usually, it's usually him and, if necessary, uh, June Foray. Sure. Uh, we have for this one, Sarah Burner, B. Benaderet, uh, the Sportsman Quartet, <laughs> Robert C. Bruce, and one of those great names as Frank Sinatra, Dick Bickenback. <laughs> All right. Uh, he is a, uh, is he an, an I think he's an animator and layout guy, but not for this cartoon. He just did a voice for this cartoon. <laughs> Dick Bickenback. I wonder if I wonder if he's always Frank Sinatra because Frankie shows yes, up often. Yeah. yeah, I didn't, you know, I didn't research it far enough, but I'm <laughs> sure if we look it up, I, I, I bet, it, especially since he wasn't working in this cartoon apart from the voice, I bet that's what it is. I bet it's just like, go over to Studio B and get Bickenback. Yeah. You know? Like, hey, Dick, we, we're doing another cartoon with Frankie. Okay, I'll be right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. Yeah, so yeah, this is a pretty fun cartoon. Also, that uh, that look for Daffy is in, in with the the buffant and the zoot <laughs> suit. That's got to be like a modern icon. I swear, this is his look for 
memes for video thumbnails for <laughs> one second of one second of compilations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be an alternate costume if he was in a f platform fighter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. Anyway, uh, pretty fun and mud madcap stuff. All right. Uh, I so. guess I'll transition. Uh, yeah. Um, madcap, uh, crazy misadventures, bumblers. Uh, I don't know, man. All right. Well, whatever. This is a Mickey Mouse cartoon. Um, yeah, I'm doing Moose Hunters. This is 1937. Uh, and I'll get back to that later. But <laughs> so this one opens up uh, with a pretty girl moose head in the water. <laughs> you know, it's like bopping along with its blonde hair and everything until it gets out of the water. And then we discover that it's actually Goofy and Daffy Duck in a fairly bad, actually, uh, lady moose costume. Um, <laughs> Donald Duck, Donald Duck. Did I say Daffy? Yes, you said Daffy, yeah. Oh, whoops. Okay. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> they, th the first big laugh that I had is when Goofy has his wolf, uh, wolf call, moose call horn that he blows. Yeah. And then Donald blows a similar horn from the rear end of the moose, <laughs> which in 1937 is pretty ribald. Um, sure. <laughs> Also, bringing up the rear, so to speak, is a shrub in the water, which turns out that it's got Mickey Mouse hiding inside and he's on stilts so as not to be underwater. Uh, I guess, you know, Goofy's head was above water and Donald is a duck so he can breathe underwater because ducks are amphibians like turtles. Like, okay. Like toitles. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so the plan is that Goofy and Donald are going to attract a bull moose by, you know, <laughs> being a hot lady moose. And then Mickey will shoot him. But uh, they separate and Mickey, using his moose call, uncovers, well, accidentally stands above a moose hiding in a shrub, which then stands up and starts eating his shrub. And uh, Mickey is startled enough that he drops his shotgun and breaks it into pieces. Hmm. Not a great... Shotgun. Um, no. anyway, as for the others, Donald and Goofy, who get most of the screen time in this one, as tends to happen, I think they were starting to realize that Mickey didn't really have much going for him. You know what, though? I think this is his perfect role as being the competent one of this trio. Yeah, okay. That's fair. Um, anyway, yeah, Goofy and Donald find another moose hilariously eating a bush. Like, the, <laughs> the way that he does it. Is so like just engulfing the whole thing in his mouth and then crossing his legs and standing there like he's chewing tobacco or something. It's real good. Yeah. Um, also, I meant to look this up. The moose have these weird flaps at the end of their muzzles that kind of hangs down. Do laps. What's that? It's the it's the do lap. The do lap. Yep. Or they can sometimes be called bells. Is and this is something this is something that moose really have. Yes, it's more pronounced on male moose. Oh, okay. Okay, fair enough. I was wondering if this was artistic license of, like, you know, just making fun of a moose's floppy lips or if this was something hmm. that moose actually had. So, okay, they have it. Yep. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Anyway, this is real funny. 
Um, so then uh, <laughs> Donald and Goofy <laughs> pretty up their moose outfit with lipstick and perfume and attract the bull moose over. This is going to go bad, man. <laughs> yeah, like... even the best case scenario. For, well, the best case scenario, I guess, is that the moose gets shot. But <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I think these two are perverts. I think Moofy. I think Goofy really wants to make out with a moose. <laughs> Moofy. And <laughs> he's Moofy when it comes to the moose. Um, and then Donald is the business end of that disguise. We don't want to talk about what he wants. <laughs> uh, anyway. There's some gags here. The moose is all horny for him. The His snort accidentally blows the costume off. And so Goofy and Donald have to uh, fan dance with a pair of shrubs. Uh, <laughs> I like this little fake out where they Donald backs towards a cliff, but doesn't fall off. But then he backs yeah. up and does. And this is important because uh, once he gets to the top, he sits on some flowers and runs afoul of a bee. And this is sort of a... This kind of causes what the male moose views as dancing, perhaps a mating mm. dance of some kind. Sure. Um, all climaxing in a gag where <laughs> Donald smacks Goofy on the butt because that's where the bee is. And this causes the moose helmet to fly off just as the male moose kisses the lips underneath. He got what he wanted. Yeah. And then the moose head lands back on before the male moose can see that anything is wrong. Hmm. After all this, six minutes of this eight minute cartoon, uh, we go back to Mickey, who basically his entire shrub has been eaten away by this moose that he's trying to hide from. Uh, the moose, though, gets distracted when it sees the supposed girl moose. And this, of course, causes rivalry between the two bulls. And they end up doing what moose do. You know, they sharpen up their horns and start button heads. And I really liked in this how the the moose are like suplexing each other around and the whole background is animated. Yes. Like trees it, and rocks flying up and tumbling back down. And I'm looking at it I, like that's a lot of effort to put in in 1937. And, you know, I like that, like some of those trees remain toppled and those like stacks of uh, of stone fall in different piles. Yeah. After they're jumbled up from the collateral damage of these moose hitting the ground. Like, this is a level of detail that you wouldn't see in cartoons like 60 years after this. It's it's yeah. really amazing. Because, yeah. um, you know, it was I remember watching Aladdin, the movie. Yeah. And there's that scene where Aladdin is in the dungeon and the old man shows him a secret passage yeah. by moving a brick. And I remember being like, whoa. That brick was completely hidden. It wasn't a different color than the rest of the wall, like in other cartoons. That was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway, basically, the two moose, as they're fighting, they eventually realize that the supposed girl moose is a couple of guys in disguise. And the trio hightail it out of there in a canoe, which gets wrecked, but they still go. That's basically the end. They they zoom yeah. away on their canoe. The end. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really I, funny. You know, hmm? I I can remember this one a little bit, yeah. but I don't think they played this one very often on Wonderful World of Disney. No, I don't so. remember it much at all. Yeah, like I I remember when we're talking about the the all the mountains and trees jumping when the mooses are fighting. I remember that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's the I like. Hmm? 
I like this era of yeah. where it's the trio, Mickey, Donald and Goofy trying to do something together. Sure. Yeah. This is also a pretty good version of Mickey where he's in color, oh. but his eyes aren't like two eyes. He's just got the black dots on his like way better. Yeah. So much better. The the Mickey with the peach colored face and the whites in his eyes. Yeah. I, I want to bully that guy so hard. <laughs> it's just like instinctive. Yeah. Hate him. Yeah. Um, But this is good. Like uh, the animation is so far beyond other cartoons of this time. It's uh, it just struck me like the background animation, but also, you know, some of the like the designs of the moose, they're a little old fashioned. Like they look a little bit like Pluto, you know, with the like the sausagey body and some noodle legs to some extent. But mm-hmm. just the stuff they're doing is so funny, like that that moose eating the bush. Um, I, 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 I'm having a hard time describing why it's funny, but it's just, he does. It just like vacuums the whole thing down. Well, let me tell you, if you think the animation of this is good, the director of this is Ben Sharpstein. Mm-hmm. I didn't know him. So I looked him up here. He's the supervising director on Pinocchio and Dumbo. Oh, so okay. kind of a big guy at the time. Yeah. That pink elephant scene is pretty amazing. Yeah. The whole thing really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. For our first moose hunting cartoon of the day, it's, um, it's pretty solid. Like I said, mostly Donald and Goofy, but, you know, Mickey does what he does. And I, there are parts of it that's real good. It looks really good. It's, it's well animated. I, it's shocking that this is 1937. Like I, in my brain, cartoons from 1937 don't look this good, but well, you know what it is, huh? um, until 1935, Disney had the patent on Technicolor. Right, yes. So they had, they had like, a three-year jump on everyone else for knowing how to color cartoons at this point. Nah, good point, yes. Yeah, they were probably way ahead of everyone else. Yeah, true. Well, we'll get back to that. But first, how about we get back to you? What was the other... Oh, I remember. How could I forget? Oh, the, the main event of our program. That's right. The greatest adventure is what lies ahead. Nope, it's not that one. I'm going to be looking at The Hobbit, directed by Gene Deitch in 1967. <laughs> this needs some setup. In the mid-60s, uh, Rembrandt Films had the film rights to the Middle-Earth books by J.R.R. Tolkien. And you know Rembrandt Films. It's that Czech animation company that made those really weird Tom and Jerry cartoons. Yeah. Dickie and the, Mo. The, <clears throat> yes, Dickie Mo. Um, the director of those, Gene Deitch, as I said, also directed this, The Hobbit, animation as well. See, it turned out that there were plans to make this a full-length feature, but a deal with 20th Century Fox fell through. This put producer William L. Snyder in a use-it-or-lose-it position. You see this sometimes, like, uh, that same 20th Century Fox had to make uh, a Fantastic Four movie <laughs> or lose the rights, so they hired Roger Corman in 1994 to make a terrible Fantastic Four movie that wasn't going to go to any theaters, just so that they wouldn't lose the rights. <laughs> um, so I think this is what this kind of is. Yeah. Uh, where... Um, where Snyder convinced <laughs> Deitch to make this 11-minute animated version of The Hobbit. And when I say animated, 
<laughs> this is easily the least animated cartoon we've reviewed on Animation Celery. <laughs> okay, we're introduced to Dale, the city of golden bells. In this city is the fantastic treasure, the Arkenstone, a big gemstone entitled the Heart of the Mountain. But the terrible dragon, Slag, laid, lays waste to the city and steals its treasures, including the Arkenstone. I rather like that Slag is holding, holding the glittering booty to his chest. Yeah. Because seldomly is it ever portrayed how a dragon transports his acquisitions to his horde. That's a good point. Yeah. And also, he's holding the Arkenstone daintily between his thumb and forefinger. <laughs> um. So the only survivors of this attack are the General Torin Oakenshield, <laughs> Princess Mika Milovar, and the Watchman. Nice job, Watchman. Yeah. Uh, Torin decides to seek the great wizard Gandalf the Grey for help. They meet and sidetrack from the wizard's tower to recruit Bilbo Baggins, a hobbit who lives in a cozy underground cottage. By force of personality, they appoint the furry-footed bachelor to lead their party and become a dragon killer, as according to the prophecy. Of course. And, yeah, he goes, if only so Princess Mika won't undertake the dangerous task alone. Across jagged rocks the four travel. Gandalf, being the wizard, just observe, observes remotely. Um, when they come upon a roasting sheep, they foolishly rush toward it. But it's the meal of two groans, that is to say, two troll-like, tree-like creatures. <laughs> they capture Torin, Mika, and the Watchman, and they put them on their roasting spit. From a hollow log, Bilbo uses mimicry to exacerbate an argument between the groans. His companions get knocked safely away from the fire, and the groans struggle all through the night until sunrise, which is bad for them since the sun reduces them to inanimate trees. <laughs> the groans seem sort of to be an intersection between trolls and, and <clears throat> excuse me, and ents, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of like names from the, the Middle Earth yeah. books that they've, you know, it's the. Give it's a little the dollar spin. store version of them. Yeah. Um, so the journey continues through tunnels. Unknown to his allies, Bilbo falls down a crevasse. Down in the depths, he meets a wretched creature named Gloom, <laughs> whose possession of a powerful magical ring has deranged him. The ring manipulates fortune to end up on Bilbo's finger. The clever hobbit races away, but then hides so that he's passed by Galoom and he can follow him on the way out. You see, he's got a secret tunnel that the dangerous grablins don't even know about. <laughs> uh, Worth noting that he's just straight up hides like hides like the ring doesn't make him yes. visible or anything. What is this? Some kind of magic ring? Well, you know, I was thinking about that. They don't show that the ring imparts invisibility. But the narrator right there does say that it's a ring of power. Yeah, it so says something I, about it'll have the power to help him slay smog. I mean, slag. Well, he jumps from the island to shore, so I think maybe the ring lets him do that. Oh, okay. 
and then runs runs up the tunnel real fast, you know, I think. Just generic, uh, just general superpowers. Yeah, it ups his stats. Um, <laughs> after rejoining, the foursome traverses the dense, gloomy Mirkwood. Through the troubled woods, they arrive at Lonely Mountain, the home of the dragon slag. Yeah, I like that they describe it as the desolation of slag. Like, yes. almost. <laughs> <laughs> Bilbo spies on the sleeping monster at his treasure hoard. When he spots the Arkenstone, he steals it. <laughs> I'm just laughing at how fastens- stupid his plan is. Really? Okay, see, he fastens the Arkenstone to a giant crossbow quarrel, more like a ballista quarrel, really. Yeah. Um, and he and his companions cooperatively fire that giant ballista, and it delivers the killing blow to the sleeping evil dragon. And then all is good in Dale, the city of Golden Bells, now ruled by Mika and Bilbo, uh, a married couple now, and they rule for some time, then retire back to Hobbiton for a simpler life. That is, until Gandalf knocks on his door with future need of a hero. Hmm. Well, maybe he'll be retired at that point. Right. And his um, his uh, his his descendant Flono can yeah. take up the mantle. Yeah, this is like a mockbuster, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so Gandalf skips off in the early in this adventure. Like his only role is to recognize the prophecy and take them to Bilbo. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, I do like in the proper story how Bilbo passes on Smog's weakness through a thrush that whispers it to Bard. Mm hmm. But this way, too, is kind of more heroic and doesn't rely on Bard, a guy you haven't met, using a magic arrow you haven't heard about. <laughs> so, in some ways, I could see why you would do this in this, you know, in this 11-minute story, would you introduce a new guy with a magic thing that just does the heroic thing? I don't think so. I think this is an okay um, yeah. compromise. <laughs> yeah, it's... I don't know that it's really that different than The Hobbit, really. <laughs> well, it it, bas- it it touch it has some of the same touchstones for sure. Okay, um, should it have a war at the end? I don't think the war is the most interesting part of The Hobbit. No, it doesn't need that. Like, okay, like, I understand there is some stuff that you need to cut out, but I, I, I guess it, barrel, I guess the- it's just the characters maybe that are, you know. I actually like them. I like the designs in this, even though they're not animated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They look good. Yeah. 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 I like <laughs> I like them all. I like uh, the doofy looking Watchmen and Torin. you know, uh, I think I think Bilbo looks pretty good. Uh, I like uh, I was going to call him Smog. I like Slag quite a bit. <laughs> um, It looks good. It would look great if it could be animated. Mostly it's ca- camera movements. Yeah. Like yeah. and hardly even those. Camera movements, um, transitional effects. Uh, <laughs> they put some sparkles There's, on them sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes the camera movement does a good job of, of you know, implying that Bilbo jumped or ran. They do a not bad job there. Uh, I guess the most animated part is when Gandalf is pointing to a map. He points in three different places. Ah. I guess you could probably say it's animated in 40s, you know? <laughs> 
Um, I, I don't know. I think people would want to make fun of this. I don't think it's, well, it's not good, but I, there's things I like about it for sure. <laughs> yeah. And you know, time has soured me a little bit on the Peter Jackson movies. Okay. I mean, never mind the Hobbit, but also Lord of the Rings, you know, like I'm a little over it. So. All right. It's a weird thing. But, like it's right. It's it's definitely weird. Had you seen this before? No, I'm pretty sure not. Yeah, I just became aware of it a couple of years ago, uh, and it shocked me. I was like, "Wow," because um, obviously I knew who Gene Deitch was, and I was like, yeah. "Oh man, he he did the Hobbit. I got to see this." And yeah, uh, it's pretty wild. It's worth looking at. I mean, don't expect it to be the Hobbit per se, but. Uh, it's definitely interesting. I would have put the barrel ride in there. Yeah. The escape by the barrels. I think that's an important part. You shouldn't skip. Yeah. Well, it's one of the, it's one of the, I mean, you know, there's limited time in this cartoon, but yeah, it's one of the moments where Bilbo makes himself useful, right? Like right. he's, that's kind of the story of the Hobbit is all these dwarves who are like, oh, we can do everything. We have to drag along this halfling. Blah. But then the halfling turns out to be the crafty one who saves them from everything. Hmm. Right, right. Yeah. So this is pretty interesting. It is. It's a And something different. Mm-hmm. How do you like that for a segue? Yeah. Something different. Something different. Um, so here's something different. The moose hunt. This one is from 1931, and it shocks me that there's only a five year difference between this <laughs> and moose hunters yeah. because yeah. this is black and white, uh, different sound quality. Um, you know, I mean, some things, you know, age, I mean, it is regardless of how different, how, how, how many years passed between this and the other cartoon. The fact is that it's like 90 years old, so you can only do so much, it, but it just, th this is a, this is a talkie. It is. Give it, it, is silent. it is not yeah. silent. It is sound. Yeah. Uh, let me explain what it is. Uh, it's got Mickey and his dog who was previously known as Rover. But as of this cartoon is officially named Pluto. This is the yeah. first Pluto cartoon. And uh, they're hunting, presumably for moose. Uh, mm. Pluto almost immediately goes off on his own, sniffing things. Um the thing that's worth noting here is that he chews a bug, I guess a flea, except it's really big, but I guess they have to draw it big so you can see it um, yeah. off of his butt and spits it out, whatever. He eventually finds a scarecrow and in barking at it ends up with its gloved hand on his tail, which is, uh, was it slapping or tickling his butt? I guess it's pinching, actually. <laughs> Um, <laughs> all three. That's how I choose yeah, to yeah, remember yeah. it. Yeah. Well, it's one of those, like, you know, I've said, I said with the Felix cartoon a couple weeks ago, like some, t they hadn't really figured out comedic timing yet. And like, whenever I see something like this, I kind of know, okay, how many cycles of this is it going to do beyond what it needs to do to be funny? And it's like, hmm. yeah, it's like a two, it's about twice as long as it needs to be with the attention to Pluto's butt. Um, he runs past Mickey and dives into the water where a bunch of bugs all dance on the top of the water. I don't know if they came off of him or what, 
but they do eventually climb back on and uh, they put it they actually make kind of a big deal out of that. Like there's a whole scene of all these bugs climbing back up onto Pluto, but then they're never relevant again. And he goes in the water again. I guess they figured, you know, we've done that. Yeah, yeah. Let me show that again. Yeah. Uh, Mickey, by the way, has also been getting uh, tickled on the butt by the... Because <laughs> when, when Pluto ran past, the glove got stuck on a branch, and now it's uh, Mr. Tickling, molesting, me-tooing Mickey. Uh, Pluto comes back, okay. and then Mickey makes him do some tricks. Uh, some of them are cute, like shake, and he does the thing where he moves his hand away at the last minute. Actually, right, I'm, he gives him the the too slow. I'm kind of yeah, surprised yeah. that that was a thing this early, but I guess I don't know. Oh, totally. See, it totally seems of the era, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Too slow. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like this early sassy Pluto that can say the occasional word too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when he's asked to speak, he gets down on his knees and goes "mammy" like Al Jolson. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what eventually happens is that Mickey finds a branch. And I was wondering what this thing was, because it's on the ground right next to the the shotgun. And it's obviously there to be animated. And, I, and it looked like a bayonet. But it turns out it's a stick. So he plays yeah. fetch a little bit. But what eventually happens is that the stick goes flying into a pile of other sticks. And Pluto doesn't know which one it is. So he randomly chooses one, which happens to look like moose antlers. Now... As he's running back, Mickey sees the silhouette and figures it's a moose and he shoots and goes running off to find his prize. And his prize turns out to be his dead dog. And of course, he sobs over the corpse. And, you know, when he's not looking, we see Pluto look up like he's fine. Just letting us know uh, this may or may not be the first instance of a cartoon character looking at the audience and saying, is there a doctor in the house? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, huh. he, he eventually, you know, he tells Pluto, speak to me. And then Pluto gets up and says, <laughs> kiss me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was wondering, it's yeah. like, what's he going to say? Well, what's the joke going to be? Yeah. This Pluto rocks. Yeah, I love this is a pretty good Pluto. Yeah. Uh, they, they, there's a couple more jokes, you know, Mickey does the moose call and a moose calls back and then he does the moose call again and it does the car horn. <laughs> Yeah. That's all right. Uh, there's a scene where Pluto finds something that smells bad. And so he buries it. And it turns out it's a skunk. Hmm. And eventually they do find the moose. And they there's like the thing where Mickey doesn't see it. And Pluto's like, move, 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 move. And yeah. they do eventually <laughs> run away. There's another one of these cycles where it goes on just one cycle too long of them trading places, you know, with the hmm. moose behind them and them jumping over each other. The eventual solution is that Pluto starts flapping his ears and his upper body begins to fly. And on his back, Mickey lifts the dog's tail so that his whole body flies. And of course, yeah, that's how you get away from a moose. They just fly off a cliff and that's the end. Yeah. So, huh. Two <laughs> things here. More do laughs. Yeah, two yeah. things here. One, neat that this is the first real Pluto. Yeah, Two, yeah. cool that Pluto is so savvy. Like you said, he's like, yeah, yeah. He, he's not just a, you know, a, a passenger that things happen to. Because that's kind of the way Pluto right. went. It would be like he wasn't like a a companion to Mickey as much as he was the subject of his own cartoons and things would happen to him. Um, sure. But in this one, he's kind of being a smart aleck. And that's fine. Yeah. And the other thing, like I said, is just 
how far cartoons advanced, or at least uh, Disney cartoons, because they had the, like you said, the they had the monopoly on Technicolor for a while. This one's yeah. black and white. The other one is in color. And five years. What a difference five years makes. And nowadays, you know, you look at season one of My Little Pony and season 10 of My Little Pony and the computer assets didn't change that much. But no. boy, in the early I, days, wow, they were evolving fast. I think that this is sort of a transitional cartoon mm. because it's not quite the aimless nonsense of an Oob Iwerks cartoon, <laughs> you know, like there's still some trademarks like Mickey walking along, making clippy clop sounds and the like. Yeah. And <laughs> it has a weird ending where they just fly off. But oh, I, I forgot. To, I forgot to mention. Sorry. The reason that yeah. Mickey didn't just shoot the moose. He was shaking in fear so much that his his first crummy shotgun just falls apart. Yes. So Mickey is no good at buying guns. Maintaining them something. Um, but anyway, this this has more of a plot, I think, than some other Mickey Mouse cartoons that precede it. Hmm. You know, a lot of them are just like l largely a lot of crazy stuff. Yeah. Whereas in this, he's hunting a moose. They find a moose. He runs away from a moose. Yeah, it's. Yeah, it's not it's not complex, but it's maybe more so than his older stuff. That's kind of more like the Felix the Cat cartoon we watched. Right. right so, yeah. well, you know, um, like I said, evolution, like it's really boy, the 30s yeah. seem to be a real important year for cartoons because they sure. went from this to I mean, cripes, I think Dumbo came out in 1940, if I remember correctly. Hmm. Like, yeah, they were they were evolving fast back then. And this really shows mm. it like five years. I cannot believe that there's that small a difference between these two cartoons. And they're so different. You know, I do. There's things I like, like I, you're talking about liking the sound effects. Yeah. I like the sound effects in this stuff, like Pluto burying that skunk, that yeah, yeah. sound effect of him tossing dirt. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, despite the disparities, I enjoy this one. In its own right, you yeah, know? Yeah, sure. Um, I'll tell you one funny thing, though. Uh, when I recognized that there was this uh, moose through line <laughs> from this decade, um, I was at first searching with not very specific parameters. You mentioned before that scene in National Lampoon's Vacation <laughs> where he punches that moose. That's what comes up. <laughs> You're not, not very specific. <laughs> <laughs> if you just Google moose. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what exactly I was looking up, but yeah, yeah, watch, it wasn't specific watch Chevy enough. Chase punch this moose. Why not? <laughs> That's the funniest part of that movie. Uh, yeah. Well, speaking of funny movies, um, you, yes. you had an idea for what to watch next week. And I was like, yeah, I'll watch anything. Why not? I haven't seen this one in like 25 years. Yeah, me neither. Um, so what we're going to watch is Return of the King. The movie version by Rankin Bass. Yeah, that'll be that's that's a weird thing. I mean, you know, we'll go into detail on it next week, but uh, the gist of it is they made the Fellowship of the Ring. And then they made the Return of the King. And if you know the Lord of the Rings, you might know that there's something missing in the middle there. But eh. well, it's, it's not really. Well, not really. It's It's in there, but yeah. But this is an entirely different beast anyway. I don't know. I, I haven't seen it in a million years either, so it'll be semi-new to me as well. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. All right. But it'll be pretty fun, and I'm excited for it. Um, so in the meanwhile, why don't all of you stalkers out there tell us what you think of this show, what you'd like us to watch, and what's your preferred non-Dungeons & Dragons role-playing game? Tell me on Twitter, at DrabSwatch. I'm at AC Matsy. There's a Usagi Ojimbo tabletop role-playing game that I like quite a bit. It's from the makers mm. of Iron Claw and Jade Claw. Uh, and yeah, and don't forget to tell everybody about this podcast, because it would be nice to get some people listening to it. Uh, yeah, I'm at AC Matsy, as I said. And now, how about we go on a moose hunt? Here's my moose call, which is also the Celery Stalker slogan. <gasps> What horrid little nasty has come to steal our ring, my precious? We must squeeze it till it dies, yes? We dursn't let it take our dearest ring, Gloom.